Welcome to Feed Your Health, a weekly podcast with your host, Morgan Shepard, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health, focusing on movement, nutrition, and stress management. You'll get tangible takeaways, tactical knowledge, and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey. Let's get thriving. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Justine Feidelson, an adaptive and inclusive trainer helping CRPS warriors manage their pain. I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. Thanks, Morgan. I really appreciate you having me. So tell me, what is your story? My uh, story is complex as far as how I got here, but I'll try to be concise. About five months after graduating college, I suffered a traumatic brain injury that took me about nine years to recover from, which is the point when I developed CRPS. So and what was, is that? That is complex regional pain syndrome, which is basically a neuromuscular illness or disease where part of your body, it can be just one extremity, it can be multiple, it can spread to your internal organs. It's an overreaction of the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight response. The crazy end of the spectrum gets too crazy. And then we have to work really hard to engage and encourage the parasympathetic to combat it and calm it when it gets in that really crazy constant fight or flight response. You get very sensitized in that body part. And so your skin, your muscles, your bones degrade, deteriorate. They don't feel like your own. It's a little bit like phantom limb syndrome where you have buzzing, tingling, burning, different sensations, constant swelling, and it's very difficult to bear weight, which is why then over time you get more bone disease, muscle wasting, and you guard the limb, whatever extremity is affected more and more as time goes on. So prior to developing CRIPS, I was on a lot of meds and treatments and um, different things over the TBI years, which took quite a toll. And so when I developed this illness, I had a pretty different approach as far as not depending on treatments and drugs and doctors and the medical system to save me, although many things have been very useful, very effective and impactful in my management of this illness. But I realized pretty quickly that movement was the most important ingredient for long-term, not just movement is medicine, movement is medicine. Yeah. Not just decreasing the symptoms themselves, but you getting a distraction and feeling empowered and capable and independent. And like you have an ability to live with this long-term because there's no cure at this time. And it's unlikely since it's a rare illness and there's very little money in research and in trying to find things that are not off-label treatments. So as far as things that I've utilized for CRPS, I do use gabapentin, which is a nerve pain medication that's pretty common. And then I use cannabis as well, which helps me in the evenings to be able to manage the swelling and get to sleep. But overall, the most effective thing has been a spinal cord stimulator as far as outside treatments. And that was implanted in my back about eight months ago after over a year and a half of having Crips and oh, and spinal epidurals I was getting every three months prior to the spinal cord stimulator. And basically they wore off over time and lasted you know, less just as you build a tolerance. Yeah. yeah, it's just like a pill, even though it's an injection in your spinal cord. So that's where I'm at now, two and a half years into Crips after the, the brain injury prior. So it's a lot different having yourself back and just managing something physical than not having a sense of who you are and a purpose and, and all of that. So that prior experience has made it easier to manage and to deal 
with CRPS. So it sounds like you deal with pain a lot daily, obviously. And like you've learned to move through it and movement was one of the things that sort of like has helped you progress past that. Tell me a little bit about your movement routine. practice? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, early on, once you're diagnosed with Crips, if you're lucky enough to get diagnosed pretty early because it's hard to diagnose. A lot of most medical professionals don't even know what it is. And so when you have the symptoms, you can, you get labeled like a malingerer. Thankfully, this didn't happen in my case, and I was lucky to get diagnosed pretty early, eight eight months in. A lot of people go years. And the more you guard the limb, the less you put it through ranges of motion, the less you use it, the worse the symptoms get. And so it's easy for doctors to tell you, like, you have to you have to bear weight, you have to use the limb, but when you're in excruciating pain and it feels like your leg is going to explode and then the pressure is indescribable, it's like, well, you can't. But you have to start somewhere. I realized that the best way for me to manage it was to basically progress the desensitization techniques that they teach you initially in, like, traditional physical therapy. If you do uh, go early on with Crips, they'll do stuff like exposure therapy where you rub different textures, fabrics, cotton you know, different stuff on the sensitized part of your body. And theoretically, over time, it helps lessen the reaction. And so I was like, well, that's nice, but it only goes so far because like rubbing cotton on your leg, you know, it only, it only helps so much. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so I pretty much applied those concepts and those principles to movement, trying to progressively add more stimulus to first my whole body and then eventually over time the impaired painful area. And so I started just by doing basic mobility stuff, putting myself through ranges of motion, you know, static stretching. And initially it sucks. I mean, it's extremely painful. As soon as you start to sweat, that part of your body feels buzzy, tingly, itchy, but the circulation and the blood flow really helps. I noticed after the training or the exercise, whatever I was doing. And so You do pay a price. It takes a toll, but that blood flow and circulation and helping engorge those tissues with blood is very helpful in the healing process and in trying to retrain and teach your brain to treat both, in my case, both legs the same. Exposing myself, just like I did with traditional exposure therapy, to gentle ranges of motion, no matter how stiff my bones felt at the time, doing it consistently lessened the reaction. And then over time, I was able to add and layer in more stimulus, more challenging movement, initially working around being unable to bear weight evenly, first at all, practically on my left side, which unfortunately you develop a lot of compensation patterns because of, yeah. you develop, you know, low back pain, problems in other areas because you've adapted to how painful part of your body is, but then it leads to other problems down the line. So that was the balance for me was not, not pushing my leg and my body too much, but using the leg and incorporating it as much as possible more and more over time in how I programmed and designed those workouts. As some movements became easier, some things were not. Like there was no squatting or split squatting or anything like that uh, for the first probably year and a half at least. Yeah. And so it's really, it's a very slow process, but your goal is just to provide your brain with different stimulus than your painful extremity. And it's It's a way to distract yourself also from how you wake up feeling with the stiffness and the swelling. And then if you do some self-administered release techniques and you're giving your brain different input, it does distract you and lessen the sensations in the the impaired area, not to mention emotionally and mentally. When it was still excruciating, it was my only reprieve and break from how screwed up my leg felt. (laughs) So I guess one question I would have would be like, so I deal with a lot of clients who are going through, you know, they're obese and they want to lose yeah. weight. And so their bodies aren't cooperating, obviously, in a totally different manner. Right, right, right. But like, 
it takes a long time for people to see results yeah. and to feel better. Yeah. You know, you must have like a lot of willpower and strength and just like mental capacity to be like, this is the thing that I'm going to keep trying until it works. Yeah. I mean, over time, you have to shift from trying to avoid pain to seeing how much you can tolerate. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're like always stuck like this. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not that I'm not hopeful and I don't hope that maybe they'll figure out something better than a spinal cord stimulator. But if they don't, how am I going to manage the next 60 years of my life? Um, assuming I'm lucky enough to live that long. And so keeping your eye on the overall goal and the bigger prize and your larger why, right, is what makes these daily decisions and challenges that you put yourself through and maybe initially not feeling the difference and not feeling the result. I mean, it took so many reps over and over and over again on just the bicycle to begin with before my leg didn't feel like it was splitting and tearing. And yeah, initially your thought is like, well, I'm never doing that again if it feels that horrible. But you have to, you have to do it over and over and over again. And eventually you do see some progress and some results. And so just staying very connected to your why, like why is this worth it? Yeah, I think is is really important. Absolutely. And then I guess my question would be, what is your why? What is my why? Is that too personal? (laughs) No, no, it's not. Um, I mean, I lost so much time, it feels like, and so much life that other people got to live um, while I was dealing with the brain injury. And so once I developed Crips, I just, I wanted to be able to do all the things that I couldn't do for so long, even if I couldn't stand and I couldn't walk and I had to find other ways to get from point A to point B And to not be scared, you know, to do stuff that's painful and to get in that pattern of not trying to, like I said, avoid pain, but trying to live the fullest, you know, largest life that I can. And like I said, dealing with a painful extremity is really different than dealing with the loss and the depression of not knowing who you are or having a purpose in the world. And so talking about your why, like having a purpose that makes the suffering worth it, you know, that doesn't make every day depressing and sad, but actually gets you excited to see how much can you improve? You know, how much can you change it? You have to be really good at like living in the moment and being like, this is an awesome moment. Let's recreate this. Over and over again. Keep doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, future tripping, worrying about the future. You don't have to be disabled or in pain to like fall into that trap. But in particular, um, playing the tape out is like horrifying. So you don't, obviously my mind wanders there at times, but that is part of what really motivates me and makes me want to enjoy my present as much as possible and push myself, you know, while I can. And at least I have youth on my side so that as I age, things that are going to get even harder, at least I already have all those routines and habits and things established. Um, So I'm not trying to get it together at 60 when suddenly I'm scared. Setting yourself up for the long term. Yeah. We're staying in an Airbnb right now. And you have gotten up each morning and done your little routine (laughs) to make sure your body's working for you for the day. Yeah. And you just, you have to choose taking on some pain now for less overall. And just managing and knowing your body. We'll talk about like having a sense of what type of things affect it. And how are you going to be able to recover from that and pace yourself, whether it's throughout a day or throughout a week and being around people who are understanding and accommodating of that and don't make you feel like you're some leper because you can't, you know, do certain things. And then, and you growing comfortable and uh, advocating for yourself. Yeah. And confident in that and not being afraid to speak up. Like, I can't, you know, I don't, because people don't understand what it's like to have part of your body always feel like it's injured. I mean, that's basically what Crip says. Like part of your body gets stuck in a flight or fight mode. Yeah. And the nervous system gets elevated. And so things that should be 
autonomic, like sweating, circulation, all these things that are not the fight or flight response sort of behave like that. And so that's where exercise and movement becomes so important because you're trying to get yourself out of that vicious cycle of my limb feels injured, so I can't use it. And then I'm not using my limb, you know, et cetera. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like the movements that you do as far as like strength training now where you're at. Yeah, where I'm at now compared to where I was is a pretty, pretty far cry. But I actually, my roots were originally in CrossFit because I had to be as efficient as possible with minimal equipment at the beginning of COVID. Modifying and changing so many movements because of not being able to bear weight. And then realizing that high intensity interval training is not... Not really possible. Shocking and not sustainable, you know, because I I was so exhausted, so depleted, so thrashed because it's a nervous system disorder, CRPS. You have to find ways to move that are soothing and calming to a degree. Trying to figure out how to make everything sustainable and having principles that are rooted in sustainability, not the cortisol drip, right? So I basically got not addicted, but dependent on that break and that rush as a distraction from how I otherwise felt. But that's not going to last for a lifetime. And so I, I realized I really have to understand and be able to progress aerobic training, progress strength training in ways that build me up, not tear me down and that are, you know, going to work long term. So understanding movement is just patterns, right? Push, pull, squat, lunge, hinge, core, locomotion. Good job. You got all of them. That's it. I got them all. (laughs) Exactly. As opposed to constant variance, you know, all the time. And so building an understanding and an appreciation for what I can do, what I can't do, and really diving into tempo, you know, time under tension, motor control, learning how to use my leg in those movements more than I could before as I've desensitized, and building the appropriate layer of underlying strength. Because when you're doing dynamic movements or high-intensity movements and you don't have the underlying strength to do so, that's when you end up compensating. You're building a system like that's like a house of cards, you know, and you're running on adrenaline. And you can't. And you're be, probably doing the movement wrong in the first place. Right, and that's the thing. So you can't be moving for adrenaline. You have to be moving in a mindful way. It's all about mindfulness and awareness. Yep. Yes, and so this was a big shift for me in realizing. Well, this has worked. You know, it's gotten me so far. The sort of high intensity blood flow. At least I got circulation going, but it's it's not what's going to carry me long term. And having principles that are rooted in sustainability is what I utilize myself and then is what I preach to my clients too. Because this is for life. You know, it's not about getting shredded. It's not about looking a certain way in a certain amount of time. It's about how much can you use the affected limb and feel good and feel capable and feel, you know, like you're not scared of the future. Like this ties into that a lot of being able to feel able in the ways that you can and being willing to explore certain types of movements. Like like I said, I couldn't lunge. For a very, a very long time, I couldn't do movements that involve my leg before the way that I can now and just sticking with it over and over and over. So basically, you had to be a scientist of your own body. Yeah. And like... Yep. And so it's all... Exactly. It's all about the awareness and, and seeing how is your leg reacting to whether it's aerobic training with just one type of modality. Like cycling using my leg takes much more of a toll than rowing because rowing incorporates okay, yeah. your entire body. Um, as opposed to initially like strength training, I couldn't stand for long enough to tolerate how you would in a gym for an hour going through those six patterns. But now I'm at a point where that actually takes less of a toll than some of the more 
intense uh, mixed modal aerobic pieces that I'll do, but I do enjoy kind of endurance cardio because it it does give me that break. It gives you that little hit too. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a there's something about when you're moving and when you give your brain different stimulus other than pain, 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 like it doesn't register the pain as much. So you just have to be willing to explore what things you can't do, what things you can't. And if it, you know, takes a huge toll, well, the next day is a reset button to a degree. And that's kind of every day is a new day. Yeah. That's the blessing and the curse of uh, Crips is it's this little bit of a groundhog day where whatever your baseline sort of pain levels are, most of the time I'll recover to that at least by the next day. And then you do it again. Yeah. So how does that translate into like working with clients? Well, basically you have to, you have to meet people where they're at. So everybody's different. That's what's tricky with CRPS. Everyone's symptoms are a little bit different. Everyone's pain tolerance is a little bit different. The, sure. How much they're willing to push themselves and take that on is is different. And, you know, realistically, when CRPS is in the acute phase, like the first three to six months, and then unfortunately, if it's not in, if, it, if you don't go into remission by the first, by the like the one year mark, it's pretty unlikely you will. And you're usually yeah. going to stay at about that symptom level. So ideally, you want to move as much as possible as soon as possible. So if a client is willing and able in the more intense, like I'm two and a half years in, I'm in a different place than someone six months into this. Yeah. yeah. The exercise repertoire is a lot smaller with someone who's in a more acute early phase. But we do an assessment. We see how much you can move within those patterns. And then we start working on motor control and the types of cardio that you can do where you're not getting such a backlash and so thrashed that you tap out and you can't maintain it and sustain it. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of things that go into supporting that like, you know, breath work, mindfulness, meditation, so many tools to calm and soothe your nervous system, the self-administered release techniques. It's not just about prepping your body for a workout the way regular people do. It's like first just calming your nervous system and then prepping yourself to actually move. So we start with very simple aerobic progressions, very simple, straightforward strength training. Honestly, that's after sometimes months of doing more just mobility techniques, more just putting your leg as much as you can through ranges of motion, like a yoga flow as yeah. best as you can. There's apps like GoWad where you can do different type of static stretching. I'll link stretching. it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just starting with like static stretching, body weight stuff, you know, not a lot of external load when you can barely hold your own load and just finding ways to get circulation and blood flow going that you can manage still. Yeah. So that's the key. So you have a method that you use with clients called the Mars ID method. Tell me about that. Because we're blasting off. But yeah, so it's individual design is what I'm most passionate about and is just critical for people with CRPS. You can't be doing group shit or things that are not designed for you. Yeah. And I mean, even... Even people with uh, amputations and different types of adaptive athletes, it's you can't squat the same. You can't do the same things that other people can do. Um, so having a consult, you know, getting to know you, your training age, your history, your why, your goals, what type of movement do you even enjoy? You know, you don't need to be doing what I'm doing necessarily. I really enjoy pushing myself physically as far as the strength training and if you love like endurance cardio more so and that was something you did in like a past life before Crips like we design and create programs that you can enjoy doing and that you're motivated to do but it starts with mobility that's the M 
And so that's the initial, like I said, desensitization, kind of progressing traditional exposure therapy. And as that lowers your sensitization levels, then we can progress into things that feel more like training, more like exercise. But then the awareness piece is... That awareness. Obviously huge, where you have to be willing to explore and cultivate this curiosity as opposed to fear within yourself. Yeah, Um, that's a big one. Yeah, learning your body, learning your nervous system, learning how you react, what you can, what you can't do, how to manage that, how to pace yourself. And that takes a long time, you know, and it's an ever-changing process. Um, and it never ends, too. No, nope. And, I mean, you have no choice. Like, you're stuck with this body. <laughs> yes. Either way, that doesn't want to cooperate with you. And so the expectation management with the time, you know, this not being a quick process. And then recovery, obviously very, very important with CRPS. And so your blood flow, circulation, you know, strategies to manage the pain and flares and really paying attention to the basic lifestyle guidelines and people's behaviors around their routine, their nutrition, you know, sleep, poop, like what are you putting your, yes, poop. We talk about poop. What are you putting your energy into? Like what's in your environment? Environment. Yeah. That's really big in my coaching as well. Yeah. Pain has a lot of other, I think we don't like to admit it, but a lot of other factors other than physical stimuli. So like if you're sad, if you're in a stressful environment, if you feel lonely, if you, you know, all of these things play into if your our, room is messy. Yeah. All I mean. these things play into our pain experience. And are you getting sunshine in the morning? You know, are you on a normal sleep schedule? Sleep is a big thing. That's a challenge. Um, but super important, particularly for Chris patients as best we can to be able to recover and do this, like we said, long-term, because this is fitness <laughs> for life you know, not fitness for beach body next summer. And realistically, people with Crips, like that's not what we're I mean, concerned about. Yeah. And it's okay to want both. Like if you have aesthetic goals and you, you know, weight loss is a part of it for you, like all of those things come and are a byproduct of changing your lifestyle, of changing your behavior, of eating healthier, of moving more, of being more social, of getting more sunlight. And it's like a lot of little stuff that adds up to exactly what any doctor will tell you early on when they send you to PT as far as move your leg, move your arm, whatever part as much as possible. Of course, there's that whole thing with like doctors here. I'm going to spend 10 minutes with you and I'm going to tell you to go do this thing. Yeah. But I'm not going to show you how. I'm not going to give you any tips on how to do it. Well, and the problem is, is physical therapists don't even know how to do it. Like there isn't anything to do. That's this like pathetic exposure therapy with different stu- stupid fabrics. Can you tell I'm a little resentful? <laughs> and then, um, to, to, and then there's things like mirror therapy, which can be helpful. Your listeners probably aren't familiar with it, but basically because the problem is in your brain, not technically in the limb that's freaking out. Yeah. They put you in front of a mirror so that you're, and then you're, you're moving your healthy leg or arm and they, your brain, because it's reflected, it. thinks it's your impaired limb. And over time, just that can make your brain treat the freaking out leg less <laughs> such, Magic. less like that. Yeah. And, but that too, so many things are more helpful earlier in the disease course. Yeah. And since there's no cure, what are you doing after that? How are you progressing and moving these principles into your actual training and movement, movement practice training sounds a little intimidating. It's just exercise, but you know, that's daily all. life, daily life. Yeah. There weren't many examples of physical therapists and especially not trainers or coaches rather that were educated or had a background or experience with this. And so I just got to a point where I was like, I can't be the only one 
who, like you're saying, you need to move your extremity more. Plot's nice. How? Yeah. And so that's what really inspired me and led me on this journey of wanting to make this my life's work and my life's purpose, not only for the selfish incentive of you have to have a reason, like I said, to make this suffering worth it, but to get other people to see that this is not like a death sentence. While at the same time respecting that everybody's mourning process and, you know, grief and how affected you are. Like I'm lucky in a sense that it's I've been able to contain it to my left leg, knee down. But that's because I worked my ass off as early on as possible, as much as possible. And with the epidurals and the spinal cord stimulator, I think all of those had a part to play in it not spreading. If you have it in both legs, both hands, obviously that's a more challenging situation. Everybody's Um, experience is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, mobility, awareness, recovery, and then the sustainability factor really comes into play with how we're progressing you as far as strength training, how we're progressing you as far as aerobic training understanding what cyclical movements can you tolerate you know like if you have a push-up a row squat and a front-leaning rest like if you can do those three movements sustainably well that's different than someone else who has crips and so the movements and the exercises that we put within your pieces of training are completely individualized and unique and they have to be for it to work long term so that's where the mars id individual design really comes into play and that all ties into you getting to know your body you know you have to be responsible for that you have to want to be interested and curious about that and have to be ready willing and able yeah and I mean I think like if you're not motivated by something like this get get motivated figure it out yeah because it it is horrifying and and you know when I was diagnosed it was I mean I was like crying for a week listening to Nickelback like you know (laughs) once you realize as one does yeah once, once you realize how fucked up this situation is um but then you i think if you use it to really empower yourself and see how much you can change it then uh, there's more than just the daily suffering involved in it which is so important like just accepting your situation but then being like i'm going to change my journey and playing off of that yeah i mean i i wanted to be independent and i think a lot of our fear when you have a disability or something like that is that you're going to be a burden and that someone's not going to love you or want to take that on, deal with how limited your life is. And the only way for me to not be fixated on that was to see what I could do, you know, now and then know that people appreciate that effort. And then they, you know, it's, it's not that I want to be inspiring. I don't even like being like called inspiring, but I just want to be an example and proof that you can do this. Um, It is possible. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have to want to be willing to put in the work because it's not easy, but what, you know, is easy. That's worth it long-term. So what would you say are your favorite exercises? Oh, my favorite. What a loaded question. I would say aerobic, like mixed modal. As far as my favorite type of programming, I like aerobic conditioning. Aerobic conditioning is sustainable. That's the type of, uh, whether it's walking, running, swimming, biking. Triathlete. Triathlete, right. right. That's the type of stuff that you, if you do it for one hour, for example, you'd be able to hold that pace for four. If you can do it for 30 minutes, you'd be going at a for a two hour pace that you could hold. So it's the total opposite of high intensity interval training, which is anaerobic. And you can't recover from the same. So initially you start, like I talked about, with just cyclical stuff. And then as you progress, you can put in different movements into those same time periods. And then you can repeat those intervals either with more periods or with less rest in between to make it more challenging. And so that's my favorite type of conditioning and exercise because it's like a mix of that mindful 
tune out, repetitive kind of state, but with some physical like muscle, muscle endurance challenge. So that's what I really enjoy doing myself the most. And obviously I like all exercises that don't involve the lower body. <laughs> so I like work those upper push, body pull. muscles. I know that's why I'm all jacked on top and not so much on the bottom. But that's okay because I mean I I think it's cool that when our bodies are a reflection of what we care about and put our energy into and what we're like Absolutely. where we're strong and where we're not. So the fact that my like hip and glute and the whole left side, like it's like a 60 year old lady, like down there, like, and, like, and then otherwise I'm, I think I look great. And so, yeah, um, yeah, pushing, pulling, you know, deadlifts are tough because of my battery. The spinal cord stimulator is, uh, implanted in my lower lat. And then the wire goes to L5 and S1 are where the electrodes are actually implanted. So I had to take all like spinal flexion and extension, anything dynamic out of my training once I had the stimulator, which actually that's what sort of forced me to be more sustainable also and rework how can I still move in these patterns safely. Squatting is a challenge because of my actual leg, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. And now now I enjoy it. Uh, But yeah, definitely anything upper body is more my, my repertoire. And what are your favorite mobility tools? I would say lacrosse ball, peanut, like a mush ball or a larger ball where you can get your hip, your TFL, you know, maybe your back a little bit, and then typical roller. And like I said, I honestly use those as much as a distraction technique as I do to prepare for a workout or initially you're calming your nervous system and then you have to get it kind of excited to work out so it's like first you have to get in this parasympathetic state and then dig yourself out of that hole with a little bit of excitation in your warm-up to actually feel prepared to train so those tools whether i'm using them pre-workout or just as part of my morning routine with mindfulness and meditation are my favorites and i mean you're not going to change you can make change with mobility tools like your range of motion will absolutely improve but it's not something permanent i mean it's something that you always have to daily practice yeah continue to work on it's a daily practice just like meditation just like any other so you've mentioned meditation like four times Um, (laughs) what um (laughs) what kind of meditation do you do um i i like guided meditation if it's like before a nap or to go to bed um sometimes in the morning i use insight timer for that and then i do my best to actually accumulate time of just sitting and being and breathing and I used to think that meditation was all about like quieting the mind and having no like clearing it and being able to sit there with nothing in your mind and it's actually really not as much about that it's more like noticing and being aware of what is happening and what are you thinking about and as you get better at it it's easier to clear your head but don't feel like I'm doing it wrong if my mind isn't clear after 30 seconds or even months and months and months of doing it like just sit and be and be with your breath and pay attention to how you feel. It's a really good break. It's a good reset button for me to be able to manage the pain. And obviously it's not going to make crips go away. It's not going to cure any type of thing, but it's, it's all about strategies to manage it. And I I do like insight timer. Briefly, you mentioned um, healthier eating. So like, tell me about like what you're eating like. All the foods. When I developed crips, I was actually vegan for about the first like year year and a half and then eventually I did add seafood back in because I love it and it made protein a little easier to get without depending as much on home cooking which I loved and actually it forced me to learn and be really creative with how I cooked and cooking foods from different cultures and I felt I felt better I felt again more like able capable 
not dependent, like I could take care of myself, even though it's such a basic, you know, thing. Um, it's empowering. And it was my first experience with Crips of feeling like, feeling like that. Autonomy. It's so important. Yeah. And so it, it was, it ended up being about much more than trying to control inflammation or, you know, help in whatever capacity I could. You have to eat to support your movement. Right. So <laughs> I know that. Yeah. It's totally different than if you're predominantly strength training, but there's always principles, you know, of nutrition. And then just like with training, it's very customized and personalized to what are your preferences, goals, you know, your cultural background, things like that. What do you enjoy to, but what could you improve on? And just like with movement, a lot of it is just lack of awareness. Like people don't realize how poor their diet is, how, you know, so you go from like inadequate to adequate to good enough to up these, up, up the spectrum. Um, And eventually, you know, eating more locally sourced and it helps. The other thing about cooking that I love, though, you know, challenging too on my leg is that it connects you to your food differently. You're more appreciative. You're more grateful because you put the work in to make it. You You did all this work. (laughs) You did all this work. Better taste good. Damn it. Yeah. So all of these daily habits um, that help you feel like you can, you know, really help the mental side. Because I talk a lot on my Instagram too about like the, the... you know, the mentals, the mind, the mind component and how acceptance, gratitude, you know, serenity, like how do you develop those things and have those things? And it's with all these simple little things that seemingly like, oh, who cares? Like I could get food, you could order in. Of course you can and you should, like you have to pace yourself and all that. But all of these little habits, meditation, mindfulness, daily movement, that's how you attain and reach these like sort of woo-woo like ambiguous concepts that when you're sure. in agony, you're like, shut up about mindfulness. Like, what are you, are you high? You know? <laughs> so it's, it's not a quick journey, but no. it's very worth it. I can certainly say that. So do you have a gratitude practice? I know for me, I, I sort of, I, I journal. Yeah. What is, I was just going to say. Everyone knows I journal. Yeah. Journaling. You're a journaling fiend. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, like every morning, I'll probably write down three to five things that I'm grateful for and then, you know, reflect on the day before and that kind of thing. Yeah. Reflection, that's very important. For me, gratitude is also like very tied to staying in the present. I notice when I am thinking about like what was or the past or I'm worrying about tomorrow and what will be that there's a saying like if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow you're pissing on today and it's like yeah it's so true because no matter how much today sucks it's the only one it's you what's have. happening it's you the only here. today you're ever gonna get and then it's yeah. gone forever yeah um and so for me uh i suck at journaling <laughs> you know it was like i need it's so simple and easy but i full disclosure like i'm not that great at doing it regularly and so yeah and so for me gratitude is very tied into like where is my mind where where is my energy put where are my thoughts at um and that's where the things like meditating and other like for me cooking too it's a it's a creative aspect of mindfulness i blast music i sing my ass off you know my leg isn't less painful but i'm more happy yeah you know, so it's finding ways to create joy, to do things that, you know, make you happy, like no matter how simple Live your life, regardless of how much pain you're actually yeah, in. Yeah, because the, that part's not, you know, it'll, you can, that's the whole point of this is you can improve it, of course, but it's at the same time, it's currently an incurable illness uh, with poor treatment options. So that can either be horrifying or like really motivating. 
and you can only control what you can control. And so, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of my life, if I did the best with what I have and what I, you know, with what I can, then you don't have regret. Then you're not feeling, you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself or to, you know, be so depressed that you just. You showed up for yourself the best that you could. Yeah. With what you were given. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what is, I think most Obviously, there's other very fulfilling things in life, but from an individual perspective, when you put your head on the pillow, you know, at the end of the day each night and you're like, I fucking did my best. You lived your life. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't think about what you would have been doing if this never happened or like comparing yourself to old you or you without this illness or other people, you know, and what they can do. And part of that's challenging to comparison is shit yeah it's it's very challenging to be in acceptance of that but most of the time I think we're a lot harder on ourselves than other people are and for sure yeah and it's been a learning experience for me I'm only now getting more comfortable doing things and getting out there and and like not being uh nervous about well what if I can't do it well you'll figure it out you know and so it's like cultivating this confidence that comes from training in a way it's like a byproduct of uh not always being sure that you can do the thing, but knowing that you can handle, you know, whatever the outcome is. Yeah. Um, and all of these larger concepts are built on small daily habits that relate to, you know, all the things we talked about. So managing chronic pain, whether it's CRPS or something else, rheumatoid arthritis, whatever, it's a lot, but it's very within reach. Like yeah. it's nothing super crazy that costs a ton of money and you don't have access to like you're taking charge of your life to make it better right and I because that's what I learned from the TBI years was that awful you know feeling of thinking of being dependent on external things to help you and thinking the next thing is going to not save you but the next thing is going to be it the next drug the next doctor the next treatment then this will be it the the changing my dose this will and like eventually you get to a point where you realize nothing external is going to save me if I'm not also doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. So me, I would not be at this point without the spinal cord stimulator, without, you know, the gabapentin and things like that. But those things without all the other work, I'd be in a completely different place than I am now. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a combination of, you know, the medical system and then also taking the onus on yourself to, to do what you can. Ownership. That's it. I wanted to ask you, what do you wish that abled people knew and did differently when they were interacting with you? Ooh, that's good. Well, emotional, like physically, as far as the accessibility of spaces, like physical spaces, it's mind-blowing how hard, if not impossible, it is to navigate uh, our world here in the U.S. if you're handicapped. And so I really quickly realized, like, if I get stuck in a wheelchair, I'm screwed. Um, and so that was a huge motivating factor in building the endurance and stamina to be able to crutch around and not want to be that person. Right. And yeah. not not be that person who is dependent on those accommodations because people are not particularly considerate or aware. I mean, it's it's endless, like <laughs> the floor plan, like lower sinks, a larger bathroom, like toilet paper within reach. I mean, showers you can step into floors that are not uneven stairs are everywhere like there's no rails doors aren't automatic there's no grab handles on things like for people that have crips on your uh upper extremity crips like turning a doorknob for example it's really difficult it's much better when it's just like a what's it called like a lap like a like normal hook things yeah not a turny knob so like these are things you would never think of yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's it (laughs) so from a physical you know accommodation perspective 
how realistic it is that that's ever going to be easy. I don't know. But just feeling like you have uh, the support and the understanding and people around you that accept your boundaries and, like I said, don't make you feel left out or less than. Or that you can't do things yourself. Like, yeah, you know, I don't want to always constantly being like, hey, can I help you with that? Right. Like, I know you can fucking carry the shit by yourself. Right. You know, you don't need me. Right. But, but if you do need me, I'm here. Right, 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 right. And so it's people who, like, it's very empowering to be around people who realize you're capable and let you feel that, but are also there, you know, to help and not have the door your back. Your yeah, yeah. And you can feel it's it's so, like, it almost, you know, makes me tear up when I can feel that someone is just very considerate, even if they're not, like, doting on me wouldn't be the word, <laughs> but, like, that type of thing. And that's, what, like, people who are disabled don't want your pity we don't want your sympathy. Like we want your understanding, Yeah, you know? And I talked about this in one of my newsletters, like the difference between compassion and empathy and compassion is just pity. That's just feeling sorry for somebody without Mm -hmm. like doing anything about it or acting on it in any way. Whereas empathy is being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and feel and, you know, see what they go through. And then because you like, feel that you're able to act in a different type of way like acknowledging your experience yeah and oftentimes it's like that is sometimes all we want is the acknowledgement and then we have cultivated the skills hopefully you know to navigate the stuff that we embark on but yeah being around people that are supportive um, and understanding makes an enormous difference in in how confident we feel right and then taking things on and doing those new stuff and staying in an airbnb and driving to la and like knowing that that'll be fine and you have to have those experiences and do those things to be able to feel confident in them it's just like anything you can't really feel solid in it until you do it and do it a couple times and and you won't know until you try right and so you know living in fear and feeling very limited is what I try to combat you know through movement and that's what clients get out of working with me awesome so how do you turn off the little voice in your head? All Press. the negative self-talk. <laughs> negative self-talk. Press off. Um, <laughs> off. Haven't found that button yet. Yeah, it's broken, my button for that. <laughs> but yeah, you. I mean, pretty much like say yes to everything within reason. You know, like what anything that's safe, like we talked about with people you trust and who respect your boundaries and will help if, if needed. Because you have to walk through like the fear to get to the other side and then to realize that cramp that it's not not as overwhelming or scary or difficult as you thought you know in your mind and with COVID it's it's been hard for everyone I think to get out of their shell and socialize and do things um the way that they used to we're all going back to our hermit we're all hermit status yeah and so the anxiety like insecurity all the comparison trappy stuff that keeps us from living our fullest lives and putting ourselves out there and not being afraid of, you know, what people will think of us or like, are they going to understand our condition or not want to do stuff with us because we can't do what they can do. You realize like just by doing things that that's more in your head than how people, most people actually are. There's always assholes out there. There's always people that are not don't really care and, and don't care that it's really hard for you to navigate the world. But most people do. I think that's, I mean, this is not really related, but kind of related in the sense mm-hmm. that like, if you want to be with like dating, mm-hmm. oh, if you yes. want to date other people right? and you're in a bad place and you're wallowing in that bad place, 
you're never going to find something. Right. You don't attract that. You don't attract that. You attract negative people. Right. So, like, if you get yourself out of that and you put yourself into situations where you're actually doing things you really love doing. Yes. Yes. You're going to attract more people because they see that you're passionate about this thing and, like, you're, like, enjoying life. Yep. And that that is – I'm so glad you said that because – you attract with how's it go? You attract what you are, not what you, what you want. want. Yep. Yep. And so chronic pain is brutal. It's easy to be very depressed, very isolated. Um, and that's that's what I struggled with was the physical isolation um, initially because your capacity is so limited. But this all ties into finding ways to create joy. And then you are a more joyful person. And then you attract and you have things in your life that make it more worth living that give you that purpose that give you that drive because motivation is like nobody's motivated all the time (laughs) like I don't feel like working out each day that I have stuff programmed but I'm dedicated to my overall goal you know long-term goal and to being that person you do the things that you know are gonna end up with like I'm gonna feel better if I do this thing right it fucking sucks right now but like I'm still going to show up because I know I'll feel better. And you're in alignment. It's small sacrifices for long-term gain and keeping your eye on the prize and why this is worth it. Um, Just like any challenge, why is this worth it? Why am I doing it? And just keep coming back to your why. You know, for me, it was, like we said, living a larger life than I was able to, you know, over the TBI years and not being a burden and being able to feel like myself again. Like, it's just my leg. It's not who I am. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't define you. No. Um, and so the biggest thing is not to let CRPS define you. And it's common um, in the chronic pain community to feel very connected to your diagnosis and to have it be a really big part of your identity and who you are. And, and it is, it literally affects every single part minute of your life. So I completely get that. And, and I also, like I said, have been there where this is the thing that is going on in my life. But you have to remember that you're so much more, more than, than that. that. Yeah. And yeah. being able to, in like a healthy way, disassociate from the way part of your body is feeling or how nagging that is and not making that you. Like, it's like, it's my leg. Like oftentimes people are like, princess. How? yeah, it's princess. It's this princess leg. <laughs> and people will be like, friends will be like, how, like, how, like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm good. My, my leg is fucked right now. But like, I'm good. And earlier on, I could not have made that separation, that distinction between how I, my spirit, my mind, you know, my energy, how I feel versus where is my leg at? And then being able to pace that and manage that throughout the day. So So I bet you've gotten really good at like energy management. Yes, (laughs) energy management. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to accept that I have less bandwidth than I wish I had and I can do less in a day than I wish I could. But, like, the consequences are too great of, of pushing yourself and doing too much in stupid ways, like in uncalculated ways. And that's what's, that's the beauty in creating individualized programs is that everything is measured. Everything is, it's in a controlled environment. Like, the gym is the most controlled environment we have. It's like a lab. Yeah. And so. Scientist. Yeah. And so what you can execute there translates and transfers to lot of other aspects of your life and lowers, you know, the whole point is to decrease pain, obviously. And so once you have desensitized to a degree, it allows you to do more, but still, you know, within those limits, like some, some movements, some activities will get better. Some won't. My standing ability, my sort of step capacity, that's like pretty much where it's at. And I'm okay with that, you know, because I put my energy and my focus into the things that I can do and how much farther I've come, you know, compared to where I was. And then sometimes you make sacrifices for like, okay, I want to go to this event. It's prioritizing. How much 
yeah. how much can I push myself to do that? Yeah. And it's that that's where prioritizing and acceptance and just being comfortable with that and not letting it feel letting you make you feel like you're less than because yeah. you go again comparing to like old you and whatnot, but all of the same tools to manage energy like it's a little bit like how extroverts and introverts differ in how <laughs> introvert right here, right? And how they either gain I'm energy. Go pass out after we do this podcast. <laughs> right. Just saying. Yeah. So um, it's almost like chronic pain turns you into an introvert yeah. and then, but you like want to be an extrovert. And so it's this, if you are an extrovert and so it's this balance. And honestly, I found a lot of like upside and being more reserved in ways and in taking it easier and like, and in doing um, less running around. You put yourself first. Yeah. And I, like moms struggle, I think obviously more than this and it's a different type of challenge, but you have to put yourself first. Like if you don't fill up your own cup or however, like you, have no, you have nothing, there's nothing to give left to, to give. others. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you're not someone who's pleasant to be around. You're not someone that's <laughs> I'm hangry, I'm tired, <laughs> I'm bitchy. Yeah, exactly. I get that. That's really what I work on with clients is finding ways to get that person back that they feel like Crips stole from them or that they will never have the opportunity to be again. This may be too personal, but do you get angry? (sighs) That's a good question. I think I try so hard not to think about the future that because I, I mean, then it's, it's difficult probably to not be resentful and like resentment is, is anger, but like I lost so much more, um, compared to this situation before and I, so I think I think I have a little bit of a unique um, perspective and I'm almost like lucky in that sense to have gone through something so much worse that it, it doesn't make me as upset about this as if I had lived a normal life until 30 and suddenly my leg imploded yeah. like what <laughs> um, so, For sure. so it's kind of like being struck by lightning twice like it's not supposed to happen but they're totally I mean unrelated I, I think it's it could have they don't know what causes Crips even, let alone how to cure it. So it could have possibly been related to the TBI. But um, I think that's where training is so helpful. You know, it's an outlet for me to manage like, like those emotions and those feelings. Yeah. And so I don't, I really don't feel very much anger, like on a day to day basis. I mean, you seem to, pretty chill to me. So. Yeah, <laughs> to, towards my leg, like it because it's just, I mean, how could you can you live like that then? And I think there's always going to be challenges. Like I'm in a phase of my life where I've been able to create a, like a purpose and a pursuit that doesn't make me feel so defective, but like with dating with other parts of your life, once you start to meet people or, you know, like, would I have kids? Probably not because I can't give, I can't put a child first, but that's, then that's literally what you have to do when you have kids is they come first, not like, well, what mommy has to do to manage her leg and her mood and her mind and, and all that stuff. And so it is a selfish pursuit, um, to a degree, but that's what allows me to not be living in resentment and anger. Um, and so I think it's an ongoing challenge and it's something you always have to, you're always going to have to deal with on differing levels, but the tools and the strategies that help me manage it now are going to be the same ones that as I progress through life, you know, I'll be able to fall back on. But movement is very important as far as an outlet for me to, to, I think, manage that. Same. So where can people find you and what services do you offer? I'm not giving you my address, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, so you can find me on the gram on Instagram at the underscore mobile underscore cyborg. 
because of my spinal cord stimulator. That is, that's the reference for that. Feel free to look me up, shoot me a DM. I'll tag you in the show notes. Yep. That is the place where you can hit the link and sign up for my newsletter or apply to work with me one-on-one, even learn. If you want to learn a little bit about programming and how I progress movements, that is where you can see me. Perfect. And I like to ask all my guests, because we're not having guests. Yes. Uh, what are your top three things that you're doing to feed your health? Oh, well, that's, that's so easy because it's the three things that I do with my clients, movement, nutrition, and basic lifestyle guidelines. So the routine, you cannot overrate a routine. And so moving daily, um, not always the same intensity level, not always the same challenge, but we talked about mobility, range of motion, distraction, self-administered release techniques. That's part of it always. And then nutrition, so key for feeling your best, supporting that movement, having creative outlets. For me, it's an aspect of mindfulness. And then like we talked about the basic lifestyle, you know, behavior, outside sunlight, fresh air, like socializing, you know, get outside and hang out with people. And that's the other part is the, you know, connectedness and, and, um, like belonging. Yeah. Yeah. And really like put energy into your friendships, you know, interact with people the way that you would love for people to interact with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think we all sort of suck at that sometimes. Like like, people aren't, yeah, we get like, too well, wrapped up in our heads about like, what do they think about me? No, what do you think about them? Yeah. And like express that. And are you giving as much yeah. as you need, you know, from people? And I, that was a, but I'll wrap it up. But like, that was a lesson I learned too from, and this was not my fault and I'm not, and it wasn't, you know, my friend's fault either to a capacity, but it was hard, you know, in periods to be my friend through that because everything was so gnarly for me. It was so negative. It was so sad. You know, I was so depressed. I was like an... And in, that's like repellent, you yeah. know, and, and there, I didn't like, again, that's fine. And that, that was the situation that that was. And that's just, that's sadly, that's the nature of, of things sometimes. But I certainly, you know, learned with a more manageable situation in this case to be positive. And sometimes you have to act like as if, and then you do. Not. Yeah. Like, yeah. and then you do though, act like the person you want to be. Yeah. I mean, I talk a lot person. about like positive mindset and just like woo woo manifest that shit but like if you're if you want happiness show up and pretend to be happy and like fake it till you make it that's yeah that's the term i was thinking (laughs) yeah fake it till you make it and so having intention and being intentional and observant and aware of how are you coming across how are you making people feel um and the kinder you are like the kinder people will be to you and the more accommodating etc so be open, be your own advocate. Don't be shy about talking about like what you need or how you feel and what you can manage. And you, I think you'd be surprised how like understanding and receptive most, most people are. People have so much trouble communicating their own needs. It's ridiculous, but Especially we are never women. taught how to do that. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Love it. Well, I loved having you on my podcast. This was awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So if you want to find me, you know where now. And I'm going to wrap it up now. Thank you so much for listening. And we're out. Thank you, guys.